0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: And she looks at me, you need to leave, it's time to go. I said, well I'm a pastor and you know, as a pastor, I, you know, I have other visiting hours. And I said to her, I said, well, I'm, get, um, it's just us in the room. She's walking around slamming chairs and stacking the chairs up. And it's just me and him sitting over here. I said, well, I'm getting ready to pray for uh, this guy. I said, hey, you want to pray? Like way across the room. It was so awkward and, and random, random and awkward. I said, hey, you want to pray? Would you like to pray? Well, she looks at me and she goes, who? Oh, me? Me? You want to pray? Me? Pray? Uh, Oh, yeah, 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 you, we're gonna pray together. You wanna pray? And she looks at me and she goes, well, okay. And and at this point, she didn't have any choice because it's like, look, it's either pray or you're a heathen. You're the worst kind of heathen because you're angry. You're an angry heathen. Yeah, that's what you are, an angry heathen. So she, <laughs> so I, I like forced her elbowed her into praying, you know. So she comes over there and she like sit down and she's like, she's praying. I was like, all right, let's pray. Let's let's take hands. So, you know, she is so, it is so awkward, y'all. It's so awkward. I like, I love awkward moments. So it's so awkward. And so we are praying. And I was just like, then I said, you know what? I said it again. I said, I'm going to anoint you with oil because the Bible says if any is sick, then be anointed with oil. And the prayer of faith will stay the sick. And then I'm anoint you with oil. You mind if I anoint you with oil? I said to the kid. He goes, "Oh yeah, that would be great. That'd be great." And then I said to her, "I said, I'm gonna. You want me to anoint you with oil too? I'll anoint you too." And she's looking at me. She goes, well, "Okay." So I anointed him with oil, and then I doused her. You know, I'm like, "You need I'm not like tossing a salad." And I'm like, "Girl, you need it all." Oh. You needed every bit of this anointing. Oh, I'm going to dry the bottle on you. <laughs> I loved it. So I prayed with an anointing with all everything. And then she going to be nice. Like, afterwards, she was nice and everything. You know, she's like trying to be all nice. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, Nurse Ratchet going nice. That's, that's a book. Yeah. Nurse Ratchet going, she was nice. But I'm telling her and telling him that God loves you. And Jesus loves you. Come on, clap your hands and say amen. loves you. He died for you. And at the root of everything that God does and allows is his love. God's love is uncaused and uninfluenced and spontaneous. God's love is eternal. It has no beginning. God's love is sovereign and immutable. The word immutable is just a big word to say unchanging. He won't say, I love you today and in several years change his mind. God's love is holy and God's love is gracious and there is no limit to God's love. Can somebody say amen? And it's an infinite love. It's at a depth that none can fathom, a height that none can scale, a length and a breadth that defies measure. It reaches to the highest mountain and the lowest valley. There's no person beyond the reach of the love of God. God's love can reach the vilest of vile and the worst of the worst and the sinful of all sinners. I posted it on my Facebook status. Perhaps you saw it. A sinner may go to hell unsaved, but he can't go to hell unloved. Oh, write it down. Write it down. He can go to hell unsaved, but he can't go to hell unloved. Because God loves you and God loves people, even sinful people. One of the most powerful messages you can take to people is that God loves them. God loves all people. All people are important to God. G.K. Chesterton said, all people matter. You matter. I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. Augustine put it this way. He says, "God's love loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each. That's profound. God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. So the design of John 3.16 is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, listen quick. Listen. God has only one begotten son. Now to a Muslim, this sounds like blasphemy. Because they say it means that God had relations with a woman or an angel. When the Bible says, listen, saints, listen close. When the Bible says that Jesus is the only begotten, only begotten is to distinguish or separate Jesus as the son of God from sons who are made or adopted. For example, angels are called sons of God. Job 1, 6. Christians are called sons of God. Romans 8, 14 through 16. Angels are sons of God because they are directly created by God. Christians are sons of God because we are adopted into the family of God. The only begotten son of God is not a son by creation or by adoption. Here's your word for the day, but by begetting. B-E-G-E-T-T-I-N-G. Begetting. The word beget or begetting has two definitions. First, are you listening? pertains to being the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. For example, Abraham's only son, only begotten son, Isaac. Abraham had other sons, but Isaac was the only son he had by Sarah. The second pertains to being the only one of its kind or class. Jesus is uniquely and the only son of God. Jesus shares the same divine nature as God. Jesus was God. C.S. Lewis said, rabbits beget rabbits, horses beget horses, humans beget humans, and God begets God. Not humans or angels. Jesus is God's only begotten son. Now listen, you can go to seminary and learn this and pay $40,000 or you can get it here for free. Your choice. Listen up. The son is the perfect personal image and representation of the father. God came from eternity and pressed himself onto time and space. Jesus is the express, exact image and representation of the Father. Don't you remember John 14, 9? Philip said to Jesus, Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, If I've been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip, he who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. So how can you say, Philip, show us the Father? Simply there is God. God And God has only one begotten son who is co-eternal and co-equal with the father. Number one, the design of John 3.16 is love. Let's move on in the interest of time. Point number two, duty. The duty of John 3.16 is faith. John 3.16 tells us the duty we have is to believe in his son. Are you with me? Believing is our vital link with the love of God. The love of God will do no one any good if they don't believe. Belief is absolutely essential. Let me share something with you. There are two types of people. The world divides into two groups. And it's not black and white. Say amen. amen. And it ain't rich or poor. Say amen. Two groups of people. Those who believe and those who don't. Those who believe are linked to the love of God and won't perish. And those who don't believe are not linked to the love of God and will perish. Belief is the link, not your race. Belief is the link, not your IQ. Belief is the link, not your church attendance. Belief is the link, not your tithing record. Belief is the link, not how many mortal sins you've avoided. Do you believe on the son of God? This is what will save you or not. And believing is ongoing. It's not a one-time act. John 3, 16, whosoever, look at verse 16. Whosoever believes, you see that? King Jimmy says, believeth. New King Jimmy says, believes. Notice it doesn't say whosoever believed. Huh? Huh? Whosoever believed, like back then, doesn't say that. Well, when I was eight years old, I believed, I gave my life to Jesus back then. Where are you today? Not where have you been. Are y'all getting this? Uh huh. Believed back there. But whosoever believeth, King Jimmy, or whosoever believes, continuous, ongoing action of the heart and the mind not a one-time act. The reason John wrote his gospel, John 20, 31, we've gone over this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Believing isn't subjective or emotion. Belief has specific truth content. Listen to me, stay with me. Belief has specific truth content. In other words, truth is true whether you believe it or not. And that's why Christianity stands in opposition to relativism. Because people say what's true for you may not be true for me. That's crazy. People say, "Well, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but that's not true for me. Listen. Jesus, and perhaps I can get a witness in this house, this house. Jesus is who He is, regardless of whether you believe it or you don't. I'm right about it. Well, you know, uh, people crack me up. People crack me up. Well, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. lot have people tell me I don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, so? <laughs> what? Some folk. Jesus help me. Some folk think because they don't believe that God has to go to plan B. God doesn't go to plan B because you don't believe. You don't believe you don't believe. That's on you. Just because you don't believe doesn't change one single thing. You don't have to believe that the world turns on the 23 and the third degree axis. You don't have to believe that, but it does. And it's not going to tilt either way just because you don't believe it. I'm just like, you amaze me. It's like, I don't believe it. So? You don't believe it. So what? It doesn't change anything. Our belief is based on truth. That Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to save men from their sins. Point number three, the danger of John 3.16 is perishing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth won't perish. This is probably the most important thing anybody could ever tell you. The fact that if you and I believe in Jesus, we won't perish. But conversely, if we don't believe in Jesus, you will perish. And again, you don't have to believe it. The idea of perishing doesn't mean, listen to me closely. The idea of perishing doesn't mean you only die. The idea of perishing means you die under the wrath and the judgment of God. That's perishing. Perishing is not going out of existence into nothingness. When you die, you're still a person. You don't go into nothingness. When you die, you don't turn into a cat And come back. Actually, it's the opposite. When you die, you stay in existence and you remain in a state of everlasting suffering and torment of hell and you perish. The word perish, write this down, means separation from the glory of God. Perishing is everlasting and irreversible. Perishing is the opposite of eternal life. Matthew 25, 46 calls it everlasting punishment. Perishing means Wrath, fiery, torment. And I'm telling you this plainly because I want you to run from it. And I don't want you to be able to say, nobody in this room, look, listen to me. Nobody in this room will be able to say, nobody told me. Amen. I'm telling you now. You don't want to perish. Perish. And the only way not to perish is to know Christ. I'm telling you now. So when you die, let me tell you what's going to happen. When you die, God's going to put up a flat screen. Going to run a DVD, HD. Going to show you. Camera going to zoom in on you. Come right back out to the audience. And God's going to say, you did know. March 3rd, 2013. Remember, Pastor Ronnie came back from a really, really, really long vacation? And he told you, first thing out that man's mouth was, you don't want to perish. You do know. I heard this comedian joking, and he said he didn't want to go to heaven because he couldn't improve anything there. That it's too perfect. He said he preferred hell because he could make a contribution. I hope he changed his mind because it's hard to make improvements when you're suffering. Amen. And I realize we live in a culture that people joke about hell. Hell's controversial. Some people think that hell is an eternal party place where the bar never closes. Some people think that hell is a place where they will see the, red, the man in the red suit with a pitchfork in his hand. Some people think that we are currently living in hell on this earth. Listen, some people think hell is a joke. Hell is no joke. Jesus talked about hell more than any Preacher in the Bible. Why? Because he's been there and he knows you don't want to go there and he doesn't want you to go there. And one last thing, just because you don't believe in hell doesn't make it one degree cooler or one minute shorter. For God so loved the world. Are you listening? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life the design love the duty faith the danger perish finally the destiny eternal life i have it for you on the screen john chapter 10 verse 10 the thief does not come except to steal and what to kill and to destroy and i have come that you might have what and that you may have it more abundantly so let me give it to you quickly Just a bit about eternal life. We're coming for a landing right here. I want you to jot these down, all right? Seven stages of eternal life. Number one, seven stages of eternal life. Number one, eternal life is in Christ. Eternal life is the life of God. John 1, 4, you know it. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the what? Truth and the eternal life is supernatural. It's not something we have naturally. If we get it, we get it as a gift. Number two, we have eternal life because God draws people to eternal life. John six forty four. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. If you're going to have it, you're going to get it from Jesus. And get this. Actually, the Bible teaches nobody really wants it. What are you talking about, Willis? Well, look at verse 20. It tells us just that. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deed should be, what? Exposed. We don't want to come. And our only hope, if we are to come, is that God calls us and offers it to us. Don't you get it? You don't get saved because you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, you know what? I think I'll become a Christian. It doesn't happen that way. No one gets saved that way. You get saved because God is calling you. God is wooing you. God is setting things up so that you get yourself in a situation where the preacher says, hey, you want to get saved? And you say, yeah, I I do. Why? Because you maybe ran into a person and they were telling you about Jesus and you're like, ah, I ain't got time for that. And then you go to somebody else and they tell you about Jesus or you're walking down Harris Teeter parking lot and you pick up a track and it's talking about Jesus. God is putting all these little things in your path to woo you to him so that when the preacher says or anybody says you want to give your life to Christ, you say, yes, all that was God, it wasn't you. You don't wake up and say, I think I want to get saved. It's no man comes to the father, except the father draws him, comes to the son, except the father draws him. God is wooing you and pulling you to himself. We have eternal life through believing in Christ. We have eternal life. Verse uh, number three, we have eternal life. Now, are you glad about it? Not just in the future. We have we have Christ, we have life now, and his life is eternal. Number 4. Eternal life is a personal relationship with God. Remember John 17:3. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying to the Father and he said, "This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent." Eternal life, listen saints, is not like being inoculated against the disease of death. I'll say it again in case you missed it. Eternal life is not like being inoculated against the disease of death, like a spiritual antibiotic. It's not like that. It's an intimate and personal relationship with God. Number five, eternal life is not interrupted at death. In other words, if you have eternal life, you'll never die. Everyone who has eternal life will never have it stripped away from them. Even when he dies, he will live. Physical death will not turn eternal life into temporary life, number six. Eternal life will be made complete at the resurrection. The Bible teaches eternal life will be completed when our bodies are raised from the dead and reunited with our spirits. So when someone dies, they're alive in Christ. But their fullest experience, listen to me closely, you gotta get this. But their fullest experience of eternal life will come when the Lord descends with a shout and the trump of God will blast and the dead in Christ, grandma and grandpa and your auntie uncle went before you. They die. The dead in Christ shall rise from the grave first. And then we who are alive and remain, that's us who are alive and remain will be caught up together To meet the Lord air. So they rise, and then we join them in the air, and together as the bride, we go to be with the bridegroom for eternal life forever and ever and ever. Anybody happy about that? That's how it happens. And the fullest experience of eternal life will happen then. And then finally, eternal life will last forever and ever. I thought about how do I uh, you know, elaborate. How do I blossom this idea of forever and ever? And there really is no real way. Uh, there's nothing more to say. Uh, what? However, how long is forever? Forever. I mean, so eternal life is forever and ever and ever and ever. John three sixteen. Awesome. Amazing. Last Easter, I preached from John 3.16. Remember, y'all were with us at Dorton Arena? John 3.16, last Easter. And and, and, I, uh, and, and it was really interesting to me because as I was preparing this sermon, um, I was amazed to see that it was so rich and deep, and this sermon is so different than last Easter. And that tells me something I already know. Is that God's word is deep enough for a theologian to drown in, and shallow enough for a baby to swim in, and no matter how much you think you know, or no matter how spiritual you think you are, you or how deep, because some folks think they just deep, they so deep. How you doing? Well, I'm saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that was far. Yeah, just ask how you doing. I mean, goodness gracious, they just deep spiritually, just deep. I don't care how deep you are. You go to God's word, you can go deeper still. You cannot exhaust the depth of God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Somebody once said it like this. I will come in for a landing. I'll leave you right here. God, the greatest lover, so loved in the greatest degree, the world, the greatest audience that he gave, the greatest act in history, his only begotten son, the greatest gift that whosoever the greatest opportunity believes the greatest simple act to gain eternal life. Did you hear me? The greatest simple act to gain eternal life is belief in him. The greatest attraction. Jesus is attractive. Somebody say, amen. Should not perish. The greatest promise, but the greatest difference in contrast to those who perish, have the greatest certainty. Eternal life, the greatest possession.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.